You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. So hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. This week, I'm again joined by Anne Ravenona, CEO and founder of Global Investor, a global community and platform that helps women entrepreneurs get investment ready. When Anne was with me a few weeks back to record episode eight, we were talking non-VC, non-angel funding, everything from debt to crowd funds. But in a startup, it's hard to stay away from the subject of equity investment for very long. So while I had a funding expert like Anne immediately to hand, I persuaded her to stick around and record another episode with me, which means that rather than having a listener question prepped and ready, I got to pose one of my own. And it turned out to be more of an intervention on behalf of all those entrepreneurs who I've tried to persuade, shake and railroad into avoiding the mistakes I made and to ask for more money. We see a lot of founders doing Vicky, and I think it's super important just to say there's two scenarios. Either one, they do too many rounds of funding, so they go for they raise too little money, um, and then they have to go out and raise it again, and they've given up too much equity at each time. So they'll go and get a hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand instead of raising five hundred thousand when they should have the first time, or a million. Mm-hmm. They go and they raise. 250,000, then they have to go and, and raise more and they give up more and more equity each time. Yeah. So that's one scenario. And the other one is those who are too scared to give up any equity. So they, they just don't, <laughs> they, they want to keep all the control and then they never grow their business. So Anne, given I get to pick my own question, I wanted to ask you about how I should best advise an outstanding entrepreneur who has no idea how good she really is. Her company is at break-even with a confirmed order book approaching a million pounds annual revenue, including some multi-year contracts. This is her second successful business, but she's never raised any money before. She wants to raise equity investment to service new deals and to really grow, which I think is absolutely the right move. The problem, in my view, is that she's trying to raise just a few hundred thousand pounds, where I really think she needs to raise two million at least to properly fund her plan. She's very nervous about justifying that valuation. And of course, whatever path she takes, she has to be comfortable with it and it has to be right for her. That said, I really don't want her to fall into the same mistakes I've made. So perhaps you could shed your wisdom on this dilemma, Anne. I think it's a really common one, Vicky. I've seen women entrepreneurs pitch across the world in different pitch competitions, or they, they come up to me and they all (laughs) <laughs> gravitate to this magic number of 500,000, whether it's pounds, dollars or, or other currency. And the thing is, they don't feel comfortable asking for a lot of money. And what I would say, like having interviewed now, I'd say over 50 big investors, VCs, um, angel networks, etc. I asked them and say, okay, what is your best advice to a founder who, as to how do you figure out how much money you should raise? And they all said to me, look, you need to be raising to at least have 18 to 24 months runway. 24 months. And it's sure that a couple hundred thousand, it's not going to cut it, depending on the size of your business. Now, your lady here, she sounds absolutely phenomenal because now I don't know what sector she's in. The good things that she has going for her are one, as you said, she's got an order book of a a million pounds annually. She's got multi-year contracts. So she has already de-risked the business. She's got a business that works. She's at break even. She has de-risked it. So she's ripe for 
angel or early stage VC investment for sure. So it depends again, though, as to how big she wants to be. And I totally agree with you. She is really thinking too small. So I would say to her, whatever, whatever it is that uh, you think you need to raise, forget about that figure. And now I want you to figure out what are going to be your key costs for 18 to 24 months to keep your business going. Put in a buffer zone of another 20%. And even at that, when you get the final figure, even add more to it. Because what tends to happen is the guys will go in with outrageous numbers. And they they often overestimate their revenues and their sales. Whereas the women will go in and underestimate why? Because a lot of the women I've spoken to, Vicky, they say, I don't want to lie. I feel that if I don't make those numbers, I am lying and I do not want to do that, which is not the case. Having been mm-hmm. inside of that and not made the numbers, I, I was accused, and this was not by uh, a male investor, I was accused of having lied when I pitched. So I understand why women are actually nervous about being told if I don't make the numbers it's like I've lied, that I was specifically told that, which I don't know. I can't imagine too many male entrepreneurs being hauled. I can imagine them being hauled in for many, many things, but being told that they're a naughty boy, go sit on the naughty step because they lied is probably not one of them. No, at least I not mean, about projections. Is, when it comes to projections, even in sales, even if you're working in big multinationals and you have to do a sales forecast, projections are really hard to do. They are never 100% accurate, never. And, you know, early stage investors and, and VC, they know that when you're doing a three-year projection, that it kind of is a bit pie in the sky. What's important to them, and I would say to your entrepreneur is, when she she's figuring out how much she needs to ask for in order to help her feel more confident about those figures she's putting forward. What the investors want to understand is what are your assumptions behind those figures? So what what are the key things that that you know to be true that helped the, the investors to understand where you're coming from? So you say, well, I can safely project this percentage growth because I have seen this over the past two to three years. I have already made break even. Very often, uh, a lot of of, uh, women, we underestimate, we severely underestimate how good we are and how far we've come. Whereas the guys will oversell themselves and say, I've done this in sales and I've done a million, uh, I've done a million in in my order book and, and I'm at break even. They'd be screaming that from the first sentence. Whereas I bet you she may not even be comfortable saying those things we've talked about this previously but i i was always a bit of a pitch queen <laughs> you still are <laughs> and and i took her you know i took her deck and i kind of like did it in my um some might say bullshit i might say just optimistic positive and bringing out all the strengths and just not even downplaying the weaknesses but just not even bringing the weaknesses into the mix and it was it was such a strong story um she quite had great strength and grasp of her market and the market opportunity and the market size. So she'd given me a very credible number about how big this business could be. And it represented maybe about 10% of the whole market opportunity. I believed it. You know, I don't, I don't know much about that sector, but it was like, yep, everything you've told me about this market opportunity makes sense. I don't know your space, but everything you've told me about the competition makes sense. Everything you've told me about where this is going and why you are the right people to do this makes sense and then she presented me her plan which was to raise a fraction of the money that she needed which wouldn't get her to the market opportunity that she was 
selling me. So she she sold me, for example, I had bought into the concept that she could get 10,000 businesses on board in the next four years. It was very credible. That number made sense. And then her plan showed me how she was going to raise money and get to 1,000. What about the other 9,000? Your growth figures said you would get here. You're not raising enough money to get you there. And I don't know if she's going to be comfortable enough going with my recommendations, if that makes sense, because it probably seems very macho and alien. But I think that I think there's a, a huge risk. I mean, I know I've lived through the risk, which is why I care about it, about not raising enough. But perhaps, I mean, am I missing something? In your experience with the entrepreneurs you talk to and seeing sort of both sides of the deal, am I missing what she's afraid of? Um, I think, I don't think you're missing what she's afraid of. I don't think she knows what she's afraid of by the sound of it. Sometimes we have to kind of dig very deep into the deep-rooted fear. What is it that's holding her, that she's holding herself back on? And, you know, you're there with care because you care about her. You want her to succeed. And you're pointing the finger on a sore button for her. And you're saying, hold on a second. You've got these great growth uh, ideas and vision and you can get there. Why aren't you valuing yourself enough? That's what we're talking about. That is a female thing, Vicky, unfortunately. And, you know, the research shows that, you know, there's a great book called The Confidence Gap that explains from a very early age how women are from society, from school, from the, you know, we are taught to be pretty, to not to be appeared to be too clever, et cetera, et cetera. And we can severely underestimate our own capabilities. And actually, one of the, the webinars that we do called Own the Moment, we help women entrepreneurs how to pitch to male investors. And we share brain science that explains how men and women brains are wired differently. And there's this thing like in our brain, let's let's call it the worry center, which is four times bigger in women. So it's not, we're not, it's not coming from nowhere. The point is that actually when women make decisions, Vicky, we base those decisions on a lot more data. And that's why men perceive that as being risk averse and men perceive that as, as not having confidence when it's absolutely not the case. And so what I would say to, to your, to your ladies to say, listen, I think that she just needs some practice to believe those figures that she can do it. And just, just, I think it's about reframing. It's reframing in her mind to say, listen, you need this money to grow your business, right? The money is fuel. That's all it is because you want to help solve that problem for your customers. In order to be able to help those customers, you need this fuel. And when we detach a bit of emotion from it, as in it's not me personally begging for the money and you're doing me a favor, I'm not suggesting doing that, but when we detach ourselves personally from it and say, actually, from a business CEO perspective, I need this money to meet milestones. That's what investors, that's the way they think about it. I need money to get to these next steps in my business. That's all it is. Yeah, that ties into one of the things where I see people tie themselves in knots. So I see entrepreneurs tie themselves in knots, which is around valuation. Now, my view is I was given advice by wonderful Rowan Gardner, who I know you know, who was like, Vicky, the valuation is not your problem. If you name the valuation of your, you're going to name it too low. Actually, go out, say what you need, get everybody very excited and see what they're prepared to pay. And then you choose, you know, which of these deals you want to do. So I've always taken that approach and I've been very 
bullish. And I kind of had a conversation with this entrepreneur. I said, look, you're, you are selling yourself so short here. I raised money on a bigger valuation than you're going for. And I had none of the component parts in place that you have. I, I tried to explain that you tend to give up the same amount of the company, whatever you raise. But obviously, like I'm less experienced and most of the information I have, I've got from you or I've got from, you know, being out there. I've got through other entrepreneurs or experienced people. So tell me a little bit about what your experience is on typically how much you give up at each raise, because that's essentially that's that's what the valuation is inextricably linked to, isn't it? It is. And and you see, the thing is, it really varies. There is no hard, fast rule. I know that I just said uh, on a previous podcast that the kind of rule of thumb is to give up between 20 to 30 percent at each raise, at each big chunk of round. Now, I'm talking about a seed, a series A, a series B and, be- and beyond. Although when you're doing series B, C, D, that you're not giving up 20 percent at that stage because there's less of the pie as we talked about. And But the thing is, what a lot of investors that I've I've interviewed, they say to me is that, as you've mentioned, a, a key thing is entrepreneurs get super hook up on the valuation. They go in, some of the guys are very bullish and they overvalue their businesses. Again, the women undervalue their businesses. And I like your approach that of Rowan's advice. I think try and learn as much as you can about valuation in the sector you are in, because check and see what are some of your competitors? Try and find out what did they raise? What was their valuation? How much did they give up each round? Try and find that out either by talking to them or people who work with them. Read in the press because there's quite a lot of information when it gets to series A, series B rounds. That information does come out quite publicly. They say how much they, they've given up. And, you know, do your homework. Yeah, and, and I think it's worth people being aware that there are loads of places you can look to to do your homework in who is investing where, what deals, what deal size, etc. who all the players were. For example, I use Crunchbase all the time. Angels List can be useful. UK Tech News has a UK tech investment tracker you can use. And these don't need to be expensive subscriptions at all. You can download free trials or get the basics of what you need. But the point is to really peer under the hood. Figure out a bit about who's been stung in down round, what kind of deals people do. There's a few basic things I think that you're looking for when you do your homework. Check size and check frequency is a big one. Also, how much is in the fund? Not everybody who sees you actually has money to invest right now. I never knew this, but they may not have money because they may not have closed their latest fund yet. You may actually be deal bait, which is part of the spin to attract their customers, which is people who invest in their fund into this new deal. So um, I've certainly been caught up in that. So you need to look at whether their fund is raised, you can tell that it, sometimes it actually says, but also you'll see when they last did their deals. If it's been quite a long while since they did a deal, you should be aware of that. You want to look at who else people have invested in. I think it is when we start to, like valuation, like the word says, it's how much value does somebody put on your business? Now, think about that for a second. It is highly subjective. 
So you and I may look at somebody's business. You may be from the sector, know it, know the competitors, and you give it a super valuation because, yeah, that's really, I know these are going to, she's going to make the 10% market share. I know that she's got, she's a serious contender. Another investor who may not know the sector as well, maybe have a portfolio company in their portfolio and say, yeah, I'd like to add I'd like to add another company in my portfolio in this, but they may not know it as well. They may not give as good a valuation because they don't know the sector as well. So I think you have to learn how to know what your own worth is. And that's the work we need to do, I think. And as you said about valuations, Anne, some funds are generalists, some are specialists. You'll go to their website and you will find that out. Look at the mix and the type of firms that they invest in before you spend any time with them. Understand if they write checks at your deal size or in your sector before you waste your time and money on a meeting. It is their job, especially the analysts, the gatekeepers, the frontline people that you will come across most often, especially when you're out and about at events or especially if you're getting a lot of PR. These are the people that often ring you up. And it's very exciting when a firm, especially a firm you've heard of, and you invariably take that call and you burble and burble away and you tell them loads of useful stuff. But you need to be mindful of who that information is for. Now, it's that analyst's job to be aware of everything that's going on in the market, including you. It lets them do their homework for their customers, which is the people invested in their fund. But it also lets them do the homework for the companies in their stable who you might impact. In other words, potential competitors. Investing in your space is really good, but investing in a direct competitor, well, then you need to run. They will not invest in you, but they will, given half a chance, pump you for all the possible information about what you're doing in order to help your competitor, who is, of course, their investment. All of this interest in you is not the same as investment interest in you or your company. They're just doing their homework the same as you should be doing your homework. Now, I would often take these calls. In fact, I would always take these calls. You don't want to get a reputation for being difficult or being aloof and grander than all that. I would always take calls and I would always be polite. But as I was looking up who was on the other end of the phone, I would be on their website before we'd even finished the first sentence trying to figure out if this was a brain-sucking conversation or whether this was genuine due diligence. And I would be trying to get a sense if they were ever likely to have any interest in my company at any stage of our progress. I would just say, get as much advice from people who've who've been through raising money at the same stage as you. That's the first thing. It may be even if in their different sectors, then dig deeper into those who are in the same sector and then talk to some of your trusted advisors and ask also some of the lawyers and say, okay, what are the trends they're seeing? Because the lawyers who are registering all these shareholder agreements and registering the deals and accountants who help in series A and so on, they see a lot of stuff. And even if you're in an accelerator, if you're in a really good accelerator like Techstar, Seed Bootcamp or Y Combinator and so on, they've seen so many deals. They know, they really know what's a typical valuation for a company such as yours in XY sector. So Again, it's about, remember, valuation is subjective. So if it is based on the perception somebody else has on your business, what Vicky and I are both clearly saying to their entrepreneurs, you've got to get really good, clear in your head that your company is a very valuable company, it has high worth, but know that your job is to be able to sell that story and sell that vision. Yeah. 
I can't remember if I said this in the other episode we recorded, Anne, so forgive me uh, if I'm repeating myself, but I think it stands repeating. Most of the people that approach you about investment, especially at investment events, at pitch events, when you're doing show and tells for your incubators, all of the kind of things where you're probably most prepared to be having investor conversations, sadly, the most of the people that approach you are not people who write checks and are not people who will invest in you. They may not even be investors at all. There's actually a huge amount of advisors and consultants out there who prey on inexperienced founders by trying to sell them services they don't need and can't afford, or worse still, in my opinion, trying to sell them access to investors. Now, I'm not to say that these people are all sharks. There are periods in your growth where you do need specialist advice and to, to get to market to raise money. I'm sure when you're on your series B, C, D, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that without a big team of advisors around you. But if you have zero money and you are a struggling founder, the last thing you want to be mortgaging your damn flat for is to pay an advisor to get you access to investors. And these, I think, is actually the reality of the choices that we face. In my view, this is just a waste of money. I made this mistake once. I paid for help once. And it was an utter waste of time and money. And it delivered way less results than I could have achieved myself. It actually set me back because I was both distracted and I wasn't making the progress in relationships I needed to be. So total, utter waste of time and money. And I would caution people to be really careful of that. But then, you know, there's the programs like yours and with what you're doing at Global Investor. There's a brilliant access to finance course that I went on that Rowan and Steve Gardner ran up here in Scotland for Scottish Enterprise, which was brilliant. If you are in Scotland, do you get the chance to do that? Although I know they're both off busy with their own hugely successful startups at the moment. Try to get on something like that. And there are other programs. Angel Academy runs a program in London. I think Astia runs one in the US. Spend your time learning on these kind of things if you need to learn because you just can't outsource this stuff as a founder. You can't. Rowan has a great expression. What do you call the person who raised your investment? CEO. Enough said. Your job is to be able to sell that story and sell that vision. I believe raising money is a sales job and you have to separate yourself from the company. If what you feel you're selling each time you go out is you, and there is there is a lot of that. I mean, investors are brutal and they say, you know, we invest in the entrepreneur. I'd rather invest in an entrepreneur that I like or a good entrepreneur with a middling business than a great business, but I don't like the team. You know, they always, they do, they're, they're very honest in that they are investing in you. So all of this don't take it personally stuff is kind of, dumb because it's nothing but personal and you are out selling yourself and selling yourself but you are one component I always used to think of myself as one component of the slide deck and one component of the sales story you know I happened to be the component that was delivering the story and I had to be happened to be the component that was in slide one and slide four but actually I was selling a story and I was selling a package and I was selling an opportunity. I have a theory that raising equity investment is more like baking. You're making a pie. You're raising money to buy all the ingredients and the talent you need to make this the best pie ever. A super pie. Buy into my pie and we're going to make not just a pie, but we're going to make like an enormous souffle pie and it's going <laughs> to be amazing. And it really helped me 
depersonalized all this yeah. stuff and it helped me focus on the value um, and, and helped me focus on that sales process whilst raising money. Because that's absolutely to to key, um, Vicky. It it's distinguishing when you are selling equity in your company, you are selling a piece of the pie, exactly like you said. You're selling part of the opportunity, but you're selling a business. You're selling the business to them. You're not selling your product, your service. You're selling the business. You're selling the business model. You're selling the whole thing together. And that's the thing because a lot of entrepreneurs get super stuck on the features, on the products, and oh, look at this traction. No, you're selling the whole yeah. package. So think of it as the whole package. So it's the wrapping, it's the bow, it's what's inside, it's the whole package. It's not just one little piece that's and inside the box. You think about so, it like that, right? If we think about it as the package in the pie, that makes it even more dramatic and more tangible if you don't raise enough money. If you've sold this opportunity that I'm going to make this big, you know, amazing souffle pie, but you haven't raised enough money to buy all the eggs you need to make the pie rise, you know, that is your problem. That, that was my problem. You know, did a great, you know, sold a great opportunity, never raised enough money to possibly execute on the plan I needed at the speed I needed to deliver that growth. And that was basically selling the opportunity of this growing pie without enough money to buy all the ingredients I needed to make the pie happen. Simple as that. I think that's a really, really good metaphor, Vicky. And I think so for your entrepreneur who put in that question, I hope she hears this. But I just hope that they that they hear the more that we kind of take a step back and see this whole funding thing, it's a process and it's a process that can be learned. I remember you said that to me years ago, Vicky, do you remember? It's stuck in my brain ever since. And now when I go and speak about this globally, I say it, it's a funding game. It's a process. It is a performance. It is a mindset. It's a perspective. So you've got to go into this saying, okay, there is a process, there's stuff I need to learn. There's things I have to do in order to make this happen, but I have to go into it with the right mindset, with the right perspective. And the mindset is I'm looking for business partners for my opportunity. And I'm looking for people who who have this, who share the same vision with me that I know I can get on with and are going to help me get there and are going to stimulate me to get there. And the money that I need to raise, it's fuel for my business or it's eggs for my pie. When you make it as clear as that, it de-dramatizes the thing. And that's what we're trying to do is to extract the, the CEO as as the, the person who's getting all the personal feedback. It isn't personal. It's personal because we build a company we want to make it work. Okay. But if you are the baker, that's it. We're the bakers, right? We are the bakers of the pie. And we need to get the eggs, the ingredients, and to create the environment, the oven, to make it rise. <laughs> I love our metaphor. It's a good metaphor, um, and I think it's been a really useful conversation for us to have. And, and I think one of the important things is I'm, I, there's very little I, I, I want to add to that other than the information is out there. You know, I learned a lot about this. I became very good at it, which is why I'm really glad entrepreneurs are approaching me and asking me questions about it. I got a lot right and I got a lot wrong. Um, and what I got wrong had very terminal consequences for me within my business. But I learned all of this stuff because of people like you, Anne, because of Global Investor, because of people Astia, which I know you're also involved with, people like Rowan, you know, picking out women, but many, many men as well helped me along the way. The resources are there. And I think the absolute best thing you can do 
is not sit and internalize this and worry. It's ask and have a private conversation. Get away from all the macho stuff. Ignore the stuff that you read in the papers and in the magazines about who's raised what. You've no way of knowing whether that was a down round or whether that was actually a round of desperation or you know, you've no idea of the real story behind it. Go meet privately talk to entrepreneurs within your tribe or, or you know who you can get in introductions to if something doesn't feel right about a single investor you know and an individual ask 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 i mean i was at an event actually it sounds very glamorous but i was at i was at um, buckingham palace as you do and in the space of a morning four or five women entrepreneurs raised the same name to me Wow. Uh, in the course of the morning, asking my opinion about it. Wow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not going into the story behind any of that, but nevertheless, that's powerful stuff. Um, and, and if you if you can talk to people, if you feel like you don't know these people, reach out via somebody like me or somebody like you to the connection beyond that because people will help you. Nobody wants to see you suffer in this process, at least not anybody on the founder entrepreneur side. <laughs> okay, I would just say as a concluding line, I'd say believe in yourself, think big and ask for more money. You can absolutely do this. And as Vicky says, the help is out there just Get pluck up your courage and go and ask the people who know about this stuff. Thank you so much, Anne. Very, very wise words. And thank you for all your advice. And I shall make sure that my entrepreneur that I'm intervening with this question on behalf of <laughs> gets to hear this. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Anne Ravenona, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. You can submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast. 